This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Last weekend, Dave went fly fishing without me. Sigh. In the Minnesota Driftless. Now, I'd like to tell you that he didn't do well because he left me at home. And he didn't do well for a while. He was fishing a woolly bugger and dropping a San Juan worm. Not much action. Serves him right for not inviting me. (laughs) Then, after a couple runs with no action, he put the uh, the San Juan worm on first and dropped a size 18 hare's ear. And the brown trout starting attacking his flies. Yes, they did. Although you'll never know whether that's true or not true. Although I did take a few pics. Yes, you did. Yeah, you sent me some pics. You got some nice fish. And in all fairness to Dave, he was uh, uh, he was in the Minnesota Driftless that day because he had been up at Mayo Clinic. Family member had some surgery there, and so. Things turned out well. We're thankful for. And on the way back, he uh, he got to stop. I so. will say this. So, I when I knew I had to go to Mayo, it was my mom who's had back surgery. And yeah. I thought, you know, why don't I just throw my gear in? Because, you know, the surgery might be six hours. I'm wondering if I could get away during the surgery. Yeah. Well, that thinking was not very yeah. bright, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? So everybody's <laughs> waiting and my dad's yeah. alone and Dave's out fly fishing. So I didn't do that. So it was on my way home when I knew my mom had made it through the surgery and she was doing well and she was yeah. looking great the next day. And so I said, yeah, I'm going to go home. So I left. I left like at 10 o'clock, and it was about an hour out to, to fish near Preston, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I got out on the water probably 12.30 or 1 and had a terrific afternoon. So. That's great. No, I really am happy for you. And uh, the the key to that day, sounds like, is making adjustments. Yep, for sure. And if you fly fish much, you will learn that adjustments are the name of the game. Uh, good football teams and basketball teams make adjustments at halftime. Or, as we've seen uh, here recently in March Madness, if you don't do that, you lose big time. (laughs) And so do good fly fishers, or even uh, very mediocre fly fishers like Dave and me. (laughs) We make adjustments, too, and that makes mediocre even better. So, today we're going to talk about some of the adjustments that we've made in the last two years. Now, a lot of these are minor adjustments. A few of them are bigger adjustments. But all of them have provided more success in one way or another. Perhaps something we share today will spark an idea, an adjustment you might need to try to become uh, effective. So let's talk about some adjustments we've made. Well, the first one, I think, for both of us is that we have relearned or reappreciated fishing streamers. Yeah, yeah. That really happened, I think, a couple years ago, right, where we went to Montana and we fished both Willow Creek and the Missouri mm-hmm. that same trip, right, and caught a lot of trout. And well, actually, we got big trout in the Missouri, yeah, and a lot of trout on Willow Creek, right. And even those trout were nice. They were all what thirteen to 16? 18. Yeah, yeah, a couple eighteen. I think I you think caught some eighteen. Our friend caught one that was twenty, I believe. Yeah, so. that was amazing. Really nice. So I think relearning to fish streamers. It's not like you and I didn't know about this right but we yeah we love dry fly fishing and we were doing you know we do really well nymphing but yeah there is something about streamers for big fish you know it dawned on me and I, i'm sure we've talked about this before in another podcast but 
streamer fishing is kind of the spinner fishing, if if you will, of uh, you know using a spinning rod. I guess uh, you know the nymphing would be a little bit more like bait fishing, and I I don't know what dry fly fishing would be like, but boy, when you're using a you're using a, a nymph or a, a streamer and you're stripping it through the water. It, it just reminds me of those days when I was a boy when I'd be, you know, reeling in a MEP spinner and boom, yeah. you just feel that strike. Yeah, the so. strikes are always so pronounced. Yeah. There's just not a lot of mamby pamby strikes. You just feel it boy, when they hit that streamer. So I don't know, Dave, as you think about it, um, any any particular techniques or maybe those aha insights that we've we've learned with streamers i recently wrote a post on our site called the 11 ways to fish streamers the one thing that strikes oh man me... did i just lob you a softball i forgot about that yes <laughs> thanks steve in, yes and... <laughs> in my post that i've recently written <laughs> but I, I, you can just fish streamers almost any way. You can get on top of the run, right. throw it downstream yep. and strip it back, get in the middle of the run, throw it upstream, dead drift it. You can strip it back slowly. You can strip it back quickly, and there's different times. You know. And the last one that you mentioned, I want to I want a video of you doing that. <laughs> I love that one. What was the last one? It was one? something it was... like toss it out there and twirl it, retrieve it by twirling it yeah, around. Wasn't it wasn't throwing it over your, oh, the back throwing, of your yeah, head Oh, throwing, yeah, throwing over the back of your head and retrieving it by twirling yeah. around. I, I mean, like you could that. almost do you anything. You could, yeah, point well taken. And so streamers are, are wonderful in that way because I think what it does is it takes a little bit of the mystery out. And yeah, mm-hmm. Really, if they're not hitting streamers, you can try something this different or that, but mm-hmm. there's just a lot of ways to fish them. Well, I remember this summer, no, last fall, we were on the Yellowstone in, in, the, in Yellowstone National Park, and we had hiked up a ways to fish this remote section, and you were, you were fishing them more, well, I was doing the more traditional throw them downstream, strip them up. Weren't you kind of drifting them a little bit? That was actually... When we were at the Blue River recently. Oh, yeah. You're right. right. See, I'm losing Sorry. my memory. <laughs> yes, really, we're going to be stopping our <laughs> podcast in a few weeks because I can no longer remember anything. Uh, we're going to get Steve his meds here real quick. That's right. So, <laughs> no, but we were at the Blue, and it was, it was yeah, seriously, yeah, you're I, right. was, I was throwing it upstream, yeah. dead drifting a black woolly bugger, mm-hmm. and you were getting on top of the run yeah. and stripping it back. We ended up yep. with the same amount of fish, except you did catch that one rainbow. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you got one right. more than I did, but yeah. again, there's so many ways to fish streamers, and so this adjustment, adding this mm-hmm. to what we do, has I don't know. We've just simply caught more fish. Isn't yeah, that the really, whole goal of it all. Oh, really? It really is. So that that's been a that's been a good adjustment. So I guess we'd say if you're uh, yeah, if if you're just nymphing and fishing dry flies, add streamers into the mix, and I suppose that could go the other way if you haven't been nymphing at all there's times and that's pretty effective yeah, as well sure. so maybe something else would be new flies um, i don't know anything dave that you've tried recently last summer i was out in colorado fishing with your brother and i forget it was actually dave that actually mentioned it to me the hnl variant and i'd never really well i'd never heard of the fly itself yeah. it shows my you know high level of expertise but it's an old fly that I think was developed by a guy named Kaufman in the like the fifties, I think. It's a Colorado pattern. It's really right? a Colorado why, yeah. pattern, mm-hmm. and it's I it feels like it's more of an attractor pat- pattern. Although they know mm-hmm. they use it to imitate the green drake. Okay. But it's got yeah. these calf tail haired wings and yeah. and also a tail, 
and it's so it's what it's what's called a rough water fly. Yeah. And so it will it's so buoyant. I mean, you can almost it, it's really mm-hmm. difficult to drown that thing. Reminds you a little bit of a royal wolf, doesn't totally. it? Totally. I mean, it looks like they ripped it off. But, and it's I'm just, sure... but it's just brown and, and white, correct? Yeah, it's exactly You know right. what? I actually bought several patterns. I was out there visiting uh, my son and daughter-in-law who lives in Denver, and uh, we went to Angler's All Fly Shop there in Littleton uh, where, where my son is, uh, gets most, a lot of his, his, his stuff in the past. But um, It's right by where he goes to school. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In fact, he, he has another guy now that we need to talk about sometime on a – on a podcast he's got a great little company out there but anyway um i yeah i just picked up several of those h&l variants because i've always liked the rough water flies you know like a a humpy a red or a yellow humpy or a, a royal wolf just because they, they they really do hold water so that that's one i'm looking forward to fishing well we fished it when i was with your brother we used it on the fall river and i tell you what Man, we I, I wouldn't say we slayed the trout last that day, but we probably each caught four or five each off that H. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, there was and they were all cutthroat. Yep, I think for me, uh, a couple years ago, I kind of rediscovered the San Juan worm. I mean, I tied up a bunch of them and I've used them, but it always seemed like there was another fly I would I would tend to use, and maybe it was fishing in the driftless. We started using those. You you started dropping those off of a woolly bugger you you drift the woolly bugger with the the uh, san juan worm as a dropper and then get to the end of the run then you strip it in just like you would with a, a woolly bugger and man we picked up a lot of trout on man, those we sure and, have and then i think even in the west in the montana rivers when i've been nymphing i've, I've used that a little bit more and that is that really is productive have, did you ever use that in the spring on the Madison when you're catching those rainbows? You know, might have had it on once or twice, or maybe one of my sons did. But we had such good success with a, an egg pattern, and then dropping a little size 18 copper john. Yeah, either red copper john or a red brassy that I'd tie some of those up, or or sometimes even a Dave's emerger. It was uh, invented by uh, a guy named. Dave, surprise, no surprise there, but he owned uh, River's Edge for a while in Bozeman, and that was a good little fly. So I don't know, I did so well with that combination, I just didn't bother, uh, uh, you know, using anything else. But y- you've used a San Juan worm for quite a while, haven't you? I have, I have. I've used it. Uh, it just seems like one of those flies when nothing else is working. At least you know you're imitating a worm, especially like after a rainstorm and when. You know, there's mud that loosens from the banks and it drifts down. It can be really, really effective. And also when there's the water's off color, right? Yeah. It just it just is a nice go-to. It's not really a fly, I guess, but we'll call it a fly. Yeah. San Juan worm is not really a fly, but it's just a go-to pattern when when nothing else is working. Yep. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, hey, I I just found this. I know I was talking about my son and he. You know, he's gotten flies at Angler's All. There's another guy out there that I want to look into his stuff, Peter Stitcher, uh, the Ascent Fly Fishing uh, Company. He's got a website, and uh, my son just swears by his his flies and even some of his intel. So, uh, yeah, so a lot are of the flies great, or are they cheap? <laughs> both, both. They're, they're really good, and they're cheap. And I think some of it, too, is that this guy is so helpful and just knows his stuff, but... 
Yeah, it's it's good to sometimes just to learn a new pattern, just to just to vary some things. I, you know, I I probably caught on a little bit to the purple haze craze here a couple years ago. I don't really know if it makes a difference, but now all of these flies like the uh, uh, like the parachute atoms, you know, use Even a little bit head. of a purple yeah, dubbing and that yeah, the prince nymphs. I don't know what they call that, but it's just a beadhead prince with uh, again, it's just the purple body, body, the dubbing to it, and so I I don't know, I, I couldn't. Yeah, I'm sure some people swear by it, and I've done fine with it. I don't know if it matters that much, but yeah. So we've uh, one of the adjustments too is just adding a new fly here and there. Yeah, for sure. I think as you fish more you do get more simple in terms of what you throw and toss and right and that's good you're not just throwing any you're just not like trying everything you start to know what works and there but you do all sometimes you get into a routine Mm -hmm. so making an adjustment by adding a new fly yeah um, i think is i think it's worth it i think it it's how you catch more fish ultimately that's absolutely one of the reasons we fish is to catch more fish i know Well, another adjustment we've both made here in the last couple of years is to uh, purchase the Patagonia foot tractor wading boots. And, and hey, we're not, just as a reminder, we're not sponsored by, you know, anybody. I mean, we, we use stuff from Patagonia, Orvis, Sims, uh, Winston, Sage, uh, who am I leaving out? Fish Pond. I have Reddington. Fish Pond net. Reddington. You know, a lot of great companies out there. But a friend of ours whose name is Dave... Uh, was wearing these a few years ago when we fished with him. They they had just come out, and he he has he's been a fly shop owner. He also works for Trout Unlimited, so uh, he often gets sent this stuff even when it's prototype. And he was using these, and what was kind of attractive is that they that they didn't have felt uh, because what, what we can talk about that in a minute. Why felt has been kind of on its way out. Uh, just because of conservation issues, but uh, some of the rubberized stuff that works, Sims came out with some stuff that they they discontinued felt soles for a while, but that was slippery. But boy, these aluminum bars on the the bottom of these foot tractors, uh, our friend said, man, these really work. So I eventually bought a a pair of them. I wore my other wading boots out and. And I liked them for the traction, but I also found they were just a stout boot. And, hey, Dave, you and I tend to do a lot of hiking. Sometimes we'll go back in a couple miles. And, you know, if you've got, try not to hike that far in wading boots, but sometimes it's just unavoidable. If we're yeah. going to have to wear waders, I'm not going to sling my boots over my back. Yeah, so, for sure. Boy, I, I found, like, even in the driftless, like, we don't need big boots, but... I just found my feet felt a lot better at the end of the day in those uh, in those foot tractors. So it was not only the traction, but it was also the comfort. Well, I'm always a fast follower <laughs> to what you do often, <laughs> and and so when Dave, our friend Dave, recommended them and you picked them up, I was at the end of my boots, but I wore them a couple years. They were Sims, and I really liked the the way the book the boots actually. What did I like about the Sims boots? It was well, they're not laces. There's yeah, a system right. that they have mm-hmm. that you screw down. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I when I first purchased them, I thought, you know, this how long is this going to last? Yeah. But that wasn't the problem. The problem is that the the rubberized soles on the bottom yep. mm-hmm. really 
took a toll probably over six or seven years of fishing. Again, yeah. we don't fish 100 mm-hmm. days a year. We no, fish 20 days a year, right? But we fish hard when we, we do. do. We, fish we do a hard. lot of walking, well, a lot of hiking. That's the thing. We do do a lot of walking, even yep. on Canfield Creek. I mean, we're going mm-hmm. back all the way to the to the where it starts comes yep. out of that, can, that out cave of that, uh-huh. that cave right so that's almost two miles there so yep. you're putting four miles on that yeah on your boots just on on that day but but these these foot tractors are really amazing yeah and they are i have never felt so secure is not the sure. word as solid as i do when i'm fishing those right and with we re- those and we really tr- have tried to move away from felt sold boots and, and the reason the, the thought is that those felt soles, which are great for traction, the problem is they could trap some of those microorganisms that lead to, uh, you know, whirling disease and other, other problems, you know, some of the New Zealand mud snails, things like that. So uh, Yellowstone National Park announced that for uh, this coming, you know, year of, of fly fishing or fishing in the park that you cannot wear felt. Wow. So that's a that's a big change. It's something to keep in mind if you uh, if you have felt soles. I I I uh, felt no pun intended. <laughs> I thought for a while that felt was on its way out, and then it then it seemed like yeah, people weren't sure. And I think Sims reintroduced felt, right? I don't know. I don't I have I, no idea. May, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seems like for but a while then... there was a pause. Yeah, there the was kind of a pause. Exactly. Yeah. But now, I think with Yellowstone making this decision, I, I wonder if in a few years uh, we're, we're just going to see a lot of places that say no felt. And I think one of the reasons there was a pause is when they did some of the research, they finally found out that the whirling disease was not the result of felt, Per se, mm-hmm. but it was a result actually of a fish hatchery in Colorado. Wasn't yeah, that where they I think that may the, have the been. origins of that or something like that? So there wasn't a direct connection to people fishing in one drainage and then going the mm-hmm. next day to another and transferring those. Sure. Micro- I mean, that would be a tough thing to right. prove, right? Yeah. But, but there's it makes enough other concerns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It makes complete yeah. sense that they would would outlaw yeah. felt entirely. Absolutely. What other kinds of adjustments have we made, Dave? One of the big ones for me in recent years is is fishing emergers, and I just never really got onto emergers. And it was through some reading that we've done, and some, uh, you know, and, and and people recommending, hey Dave, during a hatch, why don't you just drop a, mm-hmm. you know, drop an emerger off of that, off of that dry fly. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing that, and I can't tell you what a big difference that has made. Yeah, just wow. in the driftless, even like in the spring when the caddis start to pop. Mm-hmm. I found that it's I catch most of my fish off the emerger. Mm-hmm. Now, the the emerger is easy for the fish to to feed off because it's, right. it's like mm-hmm. trapped in the film, right? And 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 so it makes sense that you're going to catch a lot of fish off mm-hmm. of those emergers. Some people say nine out of ten fish that you catch during a hatch is going to be off yeah. the emerger. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 an important piece. So I added that to the mix. And so anytime I'm fishing a caddis, I'm always dropping an emerger. And if I'm fishing like with an attractor pattern and there's mm-hmm. a lot of caddis in that stream, I'll often drop an emerger as well. Yeah. And it's just been really mm-hmm. effective. I can't believe how many fish yeah. I've caught off that emerger. Yeah. In fact, I remember we went into that one fly shop and you asked the guy where the caddis emergers are. And he, 
he kind of condescendingly pointed out, well, you know, we don't use those here this time of year, blah, blah, blah. The catus you know, like, ended sometime in early September. And so I was like, yeah, we know that. Just give us some emergers. And then we went out and you caught more fish with them. I was like, yeah, we, we, we know this, but they're... Yeah. They, they work at other times. Well, so. and the day before, we I caught that monster yeah. in Lake Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Off of that olive emerger, right? Yep, you did. Serendipity? Yep, that's right. So, Hey, here's another adjustment, and this has to do with how to set the hook while nymphing. Uh, a few years ago, we had a guide friend tell us to set the hook downriver, that is, the same direction as the current, so that would pull it into the trout's mouth instead of pulling up. Well, it, it sounded like it made perfect sense, and it does if the strike happens right in front of you. I mean, think about that. If the strike is right in front of you, you pull it up. You could pull it up out of the trout's mouth, although I think about how many years I did that and all the fish I caught. But, okay, it does make sense. Yeah, if you're going to pull it, why not pull it into the trout's mouth, into that same direction? The problem is that only works if the strike's right in front of you. If you get a long drift below you, uh, you, you try to do that. There's so much. Well, just think about that. The mechanics that. don't Yeah, the work. mechanics just don't work. So we had another guy that said, hey, you know, on, on long drifts below you, just lift the rod tip quickly. What that does is it lifts the line and removes the surface tension. And I think in my head I was going, yeah, 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 whatever. And I did that once. I was like, whoa. You know, I lifted that thing. And as soon as I lifted it, it's like my strike indicator, which I could see. You can see the fly. But the strike indicator is like this thing came shooting at me a lot faster than I thought. So little adjustment. But that's one that uh, I've been working on, especially on those really long drifts. It makes a lot of sense. Just recently, in fact, couple days ago when I was fishing in the driftless I was alone and I hit this run where I was getting so many strikes and I was fishing a hare's ear well I was dropping a hare's ear mm -hmm. and fishing nymphs and the I was casting so I was casting upstream and they were hitting it right before the drift mm -hmm. got to me and so at that point I was I missed a lot of them and I think it was because I was pulling up in that moment I needed to be pulling back downstream because yep. again the strike was just not yeah. quite right mm -hmm. in front of me but it yep. was above stream does yeah. that make sense oh, yeah yeah it, was, it mm -hmm. was above me not downstream right and so yep. i think maybe the adjustment is is being more aware of where the strike is that's that's correct yeah so that you can know whether to pull up or mm -hmm. to pull downstream yep. you know and it makes sense on a smaller stream smaller rivers your strikes may happen a little bit more quickly you you know you throw uh, you throw upriver and you're waiting for it to drift down, you might get a strike immediately. But on those bigger rivers, what we've noticed is you may not get strikes until your strike indicator is well past you because it takes time for that nymph to get down to yeah, the level of the window. fish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, hey, maybe just a couple more quick ones here before we wrap it up. Another has been a waiting staff. We've talked about this in other podcasts, but it's so important. I just wanted to raise it again. Uh, I always thought of a wading staff as something that you would use when you're wading deeper water. And, and of course, you, yeah, absolutely. But what I've found surprisingly is that this helps with stability. So uh, I, I take it even, even if the water is relatively shallow. In fact, a, uh, what is it, a month ago or so, Dave, we were fishing, spring fishing in the 
and the driftless in Wisconsin, and I thought, oh man, we're fishing this tiny, this small little creek. I'm not taking my wading staff, and I left it in the truck, and I regretted it because uh, I, I find when I take that wading staff, I'm a lot less fatigued. Um, you know, it's, it's not just you know, walking through the, you know, crossing the river or something, but there's always rocks at the side, and so well, I find that it just slows you down a little bit more. And mm-hmm. I, when I fish, I'm just like, I can't wait to get to the next run. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. That's just how I roll. Yep. And, and, and you will roll if you, you uh, rush roll. to the yeah. next run. <laughs> and, and I have, I've done it my entire life. It's not something just as I've gotten into midlife. It's just, I've always been mm-hmm. that way. And yep. having that waiting staff just slows me down. Again, I'm a fast follower, meaning soon as Steve, Steve does it, I evaluate, think about my ego, and then I go, ah, oh, yeah, he's doing it, I should do it too. Oh, you're smart because you wait and see if, if, it's, if it's a dud, then I've spent the money, <laughs> exactly. and uh, you don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> but I have done that too, and I just think a waiting staff, yep. if you're, especially if you're fishing in the, well, wherever you're fishing, if you're fishing the bigger rivers, for sure. Yeah. But you're right, it's really a good all-around tool to have as part yep. of your fly fishing gear. Absolutely. How about one more? I think getting on the river earlier, I know that sounds patently obvious, but, you know, it's certainly true in the fall for the streamer bite. Yeah, it is. You know, getting up earlier. We've had some days, haven't we? We just noticed, wow, they've just quit. Well, even on the Blue River in in February when we fished it, we probably could have gotten there a little bit earlier on the river. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it, after about an hour and a half, they quit about 11 o'clock. We should have yep. probably been there like 8 mm-hmm. o'clock. But it was winter time. We thought, hey, you know, let's wait until the water warms up a little bit. But we could have been there a little bit earlier. So oh, getting yeah. out on the river earlier, we've yep. done that in mm-hmm. the Gardner, yep. south of Livingston mm-hmm. there. Well, one is getting on the river before yeah. other people yeah. get on the river. Yep. But, man, we've caught some a lot of fish early in the morning. Oh, I know we have. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go out idiot early. I, I still remember a story Bud Lilly tells in his book. We, we just talked about him in a recent podcast. Uh, he'd say he'd have these kind of eager beaver clients who said, hey, I want to get out as early as possible. I'll, I'll be here at 6. And Bud Lilly said, yeah, great. Let's go out early. I'll be here to make coffee at 7, and then we'll go out at 8. How does that sound? <laughs> Well, anyway, fly fishing is a game of adjustments, gear, patterns, techniques. If you're not catching as many fish as you'd like, or if you're not as comfortable, or if you're not having as much fun, make a change. Then make another one. Keep making adjustments until something works. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from a longtime listener named David. He made this on our blog post, Know Your Pattern, The Prince Nymph. This is what David said. The Prince Nymph is a great pattern for brook trout. I caught a 19-inch brook trout. Wow. I've never caught a fish. Wow. I've never caught a brook trout that fish. 19-inch brook trout, yeah. At the basin below Pactola Reservoir, the Black Hills. You know where that is? I do, actually. In fact, when he posted this, I asked him if he fished uh, that little creek that runs through Spearfish Canyon. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that big a trout lived in South Dakota. That's amazing. That is. Well, David said, it was crystal clear water, so I watched its mouth open and take the fly. Man, that's a rush, isn't it, to see that? that's amazing. This is great, then. He says, I would have had a nice video of the whole battle, but in his excitement, my nephew behind turned the camera (laughs) off instead of on. We went to review the video, and it was blank. I still (laughs) razz him over it to this day. Oh, man. That's great. Been there and done that. That's great. 
Well, that's going to do it for today. What adjustments have you made to your fly fishing game? Please share them with our community of fly fishers who listen to our podcast by commenting on this podcast link. Our site is twoguysinariver.com. Tell us about the game-changing decisions that have improved your fly fishing experience. You can find us on all the social platforms, and if you'd like to send us an idea for a podcast, please do so. We can use all the ideas that you can send. You can send it to us either through Facebook or send us an email at stevedave at twoguysinariver.com. That's Steve Dave, one word. Be sure to sign up for our weekly email alerts on our website. We keep you updated on new episodes, new articles, and much, much more. We also want to thank all of you who have purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. The book is really a cliff notes of all the fly fishing hacks and tips that we've accumulated and ripped off through the years. For those of you who haven't yet purchased it, you can find it on Amazon. And one last thing, our podcast subscribers have grown significantly over the past year, and that's simply because you have referred the podcast. That's how we grow. It's through word of mouth. And so we just want to say thank you and uh, keep referring the podcast. That's right. Thank you, and thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of making adjustments and fly fishing. (laughs) 